0: Thank you for joining me for another episode of Tutia Bruja. I'm Bex Carlos. And I hope wherever you are in the world, you are being gentle with yourself because the state of the world is terrifying and overwhelming and quite a lot to handle at times. You know, I have stressed a lot about how we're a lot more powerful than we think. And if our voices didn't matter, they wouldn't try so hard to silence us in different ways, whether shadow banning, people who work in academia are seeing their whole careers ripped from them for showing solidarity for Palestine. It's just very heartbreaking. And it's not like the state of the world hasn't been infuriating for a long time. I think lately for a lot of us, it maybe just feels worse. It's interesting. In the episode with Metzgly, we talked about their year ahead report. And it really is wild how accurately it's been. And it's interesting because sometimes I'm given pieces of, I don't know, let's call it magic writing that would be beneficial to look into for my life. And I just sort of put it on the back burner. And the truth is, that's sort of one of those that I rediscovered. And I was like, yep, yep, yep. And it's just so funny because it's like, I kind of looked at it after the things had happened and it just keeps reminding me over and over that, like, we are the stars, baby. <laughs> they know us better than we know ourselves sometimes. You know, it's just a lot. I've been thinking about the last 12 years of my life because that was my time Building a career in radio, figuring out things I wanted to do, having opportunities, going through all of the highs and all of the lows, the roller coaster that that job was, and um, who I was and the people around me. And it's so funny how, in hindsight, a lot of things make sense in a way that we didn't see at the time. I know Lena Dunham is questionable, but Lena Dunham did an interview with. Nora Ephraim, who you might know of like Sleepless in Seattle and just like a bunch of 90s and 80s rom-com films. They were having a discussion, an RIP, Laura Ephraim. But they were having a discussion about, I guess, who Lena was dating at the time. And Nora said something to her along the lines of like, you can't really be dating people until you become the notorious person you're meant to be. And that always stuck with me. Oh my gosh, I'm like crying. That always stuck with me because (sighs) to be someone who works in a creative field, you're constantly trying to prove yourself and building and building and building. And it's a really difficult ride to drag someone along on. And it is almost kind of like you have to be close or be the notorious person you want to be. Otherwise, it's just such a labor for the other person. (sighs) And it's wild how you reflect on 12 years differently, right? My time in radio, my relationships. But I also think about when things were the most grim, the universe always sent me a life preserver. And today's guests... today's guest is that life preserver Francesca Hoagie in case you don't know her is an angel of a human but in addition to that she's someone that I've worked with I'm her editor and producer of her podcast Dear Franny she's done a TED talk she was on Survivor she hosts on Clubhouse an event every Monday called Manifestation Monday through knowing her, I've just realized that like we can create the realities that we want, you know? And it's so funny, kind of circling back to that idea that sometimes we're given things and we set them aside. She is someone who really believes in human design. And I'm a witchy, woo-woo person. I'll bite to a lot of different ideas and beliefs. But I will say it is very accurate to me. I'm not saying like it's an end-all be-all, but it's worth checking out. I am what's called a projector. And there are, from what I've gathered from it, again, I'm not an expert. It's essentially like a map of your soul, if you will, right? And there are five different types, manifester, generator, manifesting generator, projector, and reflector. Reflectors are very rare. They're the Type that you don't see as many of. I'm a projector. I seem to work with emotions, for lack of a better term, but I guess also what it is, a finger quote emotional projector. Obviously, at my worst, I am just like a ball of rage. And at my best, have discussions and be vulnerable and figure out ways to be better. I cry a lot on this podcast, whether or not you realize it. Lately, I've been better about just like letting it out because... It helps as much as it might be verbal medicine for y'all to receive something that resonates or really like, you know, connects with you. It is also verbal medicine for me to release it because it has been hurting me or, or whatever. And sometimes we are very quick to use the term trauma dumping. And I sometimes use it facetiously, I should be better about that. But I think that sometimes like talking about real shit is automatically assumed to be trauma dumping. I don't know, a lot of people try to carry this love and light energy that I just don't understand. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Truly, the point is, is that Franny had given me my human design map, if you will, and she'd been like, you should look into this, just kind of like, you know, whatever. And I had set it aside and I ended up picking it back up at a time where I was like, holy shit, like this is really resonating. And so just in knowing her, she's been a pleasure, a delight to know. And just the guidance and wisdom and patience she has with me additionally, just She's very gracious in a way that I really love. And it's funny, we're the same energy type. And something she's made me very aware of is that projectors, like when we are not aligned with ourselves, we are bitter. And I do look back on times in my life where I was bitter, you know, and I felt so self-righteous in my bitterness because I was like, why is it that I am smart and capable and this and that and whatever? And people tell me I'm talented and I can't do the things that I want to do. And I had such a hard time wallowing that, you know, and I know that some of it came because it is very hard to be a marginalized person in creative spaces because a lot of the times you do have to become yes man you know you do have to just agree to everything something secret right any field in which you work creatively typically on a team like and maybe this is just the rule for everyone i don't know they want to be surrounded by their friends like people they like people that they want to hang out with you know so if you're a weird shit who does weird shit like myself I can't always read the room. I can't be in spaces where people are supposed to communicate and can't. And that's why it's been such a pleasure knowing Franny. And after my time in radio, starting this career in which I helped so many women of color to elevate their own voices, but also the voices of other people. And make them aware that they can like do whatever they want. In this particular episode, we talk about the ability to manifest things before we even knew what that meant.
1: Thank you again for joining me, Franny. I'm
0: so
2: happy to be here, Bex. Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored to be here.
1: You know, I, I haven't told you this, but a lot of people have really responded uh, to your episode about where you talked about you weren't really sure what was going on in your life. And how a psychic told you, like, you're going to impact a lot of people. Yes. And I love to reference that to you from time to time.
2: (laughs) No, I think about that. I think about, you know, when I had that reading, it was about 16 or 17 years ago. And I was just at a place in my life where I was just lost on so many
0: levels. (laughs)
2: And like when she said that, and she had said so many other things leading up to that. Like, I think if I had just sat down and she's like, you're going to be like amazed by the impact you're going to have. And and I'm like, I would not have really taken it to heart. But it was after she would said a lot of other things that really, really deeply resonated with me. So when she said that, I was like, what? Like, That's not, you know, Part my initial reaction was like, that's crazy. But then I was like, could that not be crazy? Like, you know, like there was this little crack of like, it just, it opened up this little crack of doubt or questioning that really definitely spread. (laughs) And I just, it's amazing. I mean, I wish I could see her again and just tell her how much that reading meant to me. But it was a very cool experience.
1: I think sometimes the best readings come from when you just end up somewhere and it just happens. bar that I used to read at when COVID was at its peak, go down this narrow alleyway and then you would end up in the back and then you were served back there. And this girl comes back there. She has an elote and an agua fresca and she's just chilling and she's like, I don't know how I got here, but this is cool. (laughs) And she got a reading and I could just tell in the stuff I was telling her, like it hit. She was just like, wow. That really just reiterates things find you when they're supposed to find you. 100%. Yeah, And it's interesting because human design, for a while, your whole staff was a bunch of projectors. I'm like, well, duh. (laughs)
2: It's so true. I'm so addicted to projectors.
1: (laughs) I ended up looking back at the one that you printed out for me because I I looked at it when I first got it. I was like, oh, this is cool. And then I set it down. And then I was looking through this binder with all these different notes and metaphysical things and whatever, whatever. And I was like, holy shit, this thing is spot on.
2: I love human design.
1: (laughs) things are just supposed to find you when they find you, right? Because when I first looked at it, I was like, "Oh, no, no. it's when you're willing to take in the message, right? Yeah, the message that you've been preaching to everyone who will listen, which I'm really thankful for is manifestation. And in your humble opinion, what is manifestation? And what got you into it?
2: Oh, my gosh, so much. But can I just tell you really quickly about human design. So right before we recorded this, I made myself breakfast, and I was standing at the stove eating my breakfast, which is a thing that I have done my whole life, like I used to drive my mother crazy. She'd be like, "Sit down." Like I would sometimes like eat a whole meal just like out of the pots on the on the stove and then be like, "Okay, I'm done." And that would just like drive my mother crazy. But you know what? That's in my human design. And I was just thinking about that as I was standing at the stove because I was like, that's just one of those little little things about yourself that you just naturally and habitually do that's so easy to judge and then you see it in your human design chart and you're like, Oh my God, I can just accept myself now. You know, like, I don't know. I just had to say that because I literally just had that moment. It was so cool. Okay, manifestation. So, what is manifestation? Manifestation, in my opinion, is the process by which we create the circumstances of our lives. And it's an unseen process. So, it's not about you know the actions that we are taking necessarily. I mean, actions obviously um, are definitely what is physically creating the effects of our lives. But there is something deeper that is motivating those actions, right? And and the energy that we're embodying as we take the actions that we take. And if you think about this, just from the perspective of we went back in time two hundred thousand years ago when humans were first, you know, emerging from the caves, what existed in the world? There were no houses, there were no cars, there were no forks, <laughs> there were no airplanes, there was no paper, you know, like every single thing that we interact within our world, someone had to think of that. Someone had to see something unseen and bring it into reality. That is manifestation. Everything that we experience as humans, even so much of our landscape, it's like, oh, that's natural, but those trees are there because somebody planted them, (laughs) right? That landscape didn't used to look like that because humans terraformed it and they took down that whatever. And now, you know what I mean? So that's all manifestation. So that's what it is to me. And my journey into manifestation started, it actually started around the time that I got that psychic reading. So it was about 15, 16 years ago when I first moved to LA from New York, which is where I'm from. I had very few friends in LA when I first moved here, basically knew two people. And one of the people that I knew went to the spiritual center called Agape. And she took me there. And I was somebody who grew up going to church every Sunday. Like I was a, you know, church kid, my whole family, we were church family, but I had rejected the Christianity of my childhood. I had been in this kind of spiritual limbo or, you know, wasteland really, where I was like, well, I've rejected the dogma of religion and Christianity, but I still believe that there is something More, but I don't know what that is. Right. And I just didn't know for years. And so when I went to Agape, it's a non denominational, you know, new thought, ancient wisdom, it has like a church service format, but the content is all about manifestation and about our power. And, you know, it's super woo woo. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So that was my introduction to manifestation. And Michael Bernard Beckwith, who is the founder of Agape and like the reverend of Agape, he was in The Secret in the movie The Secret so before The Secret was coming out you know we all knew he was going to be in this movie and it was really exciting when The Secret came out and I was like very much caught up in all of that frenzy. This is like my pastor in this movie and it's all about manifestation and blah, blah, blah. So I'd say that's when it really popped off for me. But then I really resonated with manifestation and I could see how I had manifested things in my own life that looking back, I was like, oh, I did manifest that. I didn't know I was doing it. I didn't know what I was doing, but I could see my power in retrospect. So then I just became really obsessed with okay, well, how can I do that again on purpose? (laughs) And so I wasn't like a serious student of manifestation for a number of years because when I left LA to go back to New York, I kind of really fell off my whole spiritual practice. New York City does that to me. It's a challenging place to exist and stay present. It wasn't until I came back to LA again in like 2017 when I really by necessity really started focusing more on my spirituality and my manifestation journey because by that point I'd become an entrepreneur and being an entrepreneur will push you (laughs) and test you. And if you're going to succeed at doing it, you're going to have to figure out how to tap into something higher and greater than yourself. And so that was a very long answer, but that's kind of what got me to where I am now. And then Clubhouse came along and that really helped to supercharge everything. But I was pretty seriously on this manifestation journey pre-Clubhouse. And I was also, you know, I discovered human design, you know, pre-Clubhouse, but I'd also met Marcella, as you know, Marcella Kroll. And meeting her was a really pivotal experience for me as well. And she gave me a deck of her Oracle cards and... I had never really resonated with cards. And I had so many friends, especially like in LA. So many people had, you know, Oracle cards and tarot cards and angel cards. And I would like have fun with them, but it didn't really resonate with me. But Marcella's cards really resonated with me. And... I found that I could really read them. I was doing readings. Actually, you were just sharing the story of you know being in that back bar and giving that woman that reading that really resonated with her. I had the same experience. I was in a bar in Brooklyn with two of my girlfriends and I was giving them readings and this woman came in and she just like overheard and she's like, would you mind giving me a reading? I was like, oh, you know, I don't like, Do this, do this. This is just something I'm doing from friends. She's like, please, I would just love a reading. I'll pay you. Like, I'm happy to pay you. I was like, okay, I'll give you a reading. And if you find it valuable, feel free to give me money if you want, but whatever. And so I do not know this woman from a can of paint. And I gave her this reading and it was like so clear to me. I was like, okay, there's something about water and I don't know if you're drinking enough water, but think about that. I don't know how much water you're drinking, but something about water. And I also am sensing that you've had an amazing career supporting other people. And now it's time for you to step out into the forefront and really build something for yourself. And this woman is like staring at me and her mouth is like hanging open. And I'm like,
1: what? What?
2: (laughs) And... As it turned out, she was on this journey where she was trying to like hydrate more because she didn't drink enough water. She pulled this like giant water bottle out of her bag. She's like, I make myself drink this every day now. So it was like, that was like a weird thing. And then also she had been Jay-Z's assistant for years, had just quit because she was ready to start her own business. And so I was like, oh, this is very specific, It's like, this is a very specific, that's weird. Like there really is something going on here. So I knew that I had some psychic ability. Really those cards helped me to unlock that. So it's just like so many things, so many things.
1: I want to ask which uh, Marcella Kroll deck did
2: you... So it's the Sacred Symbols deck. I love that one. I love it so much. I mean, I have, she is now like, I mean, I have every edition of it. I have like <laughs> I have so many <laughs> of them now. I have all of her decks, but yeah, the Sacred Symbols, they just speak to me. I can't explain it. And I've yet to ever find any other deck or any other real like medium that speaks to me like those cards do.
1: They're such an amazing tool. I don't have the nature nurture, but I have everything else that she's made. They baffle me every time. Every time. I know. For anybody who really just is unsure of them, I would suggest that. I wanted to circle back to the Agape Center because it's interesting. I keep hearing about it, but I just love that LA is more woo-woo in that way because here there isn't as much spiritual diversity as I would really like there to be so it's made me a very solitary like practitioner which is healing and sometimes it's a combination of magic stuff and sometimes it's a combination of self-healing stuff because I've been thinking a lot about my childhood because of Jeanette McCurdy's book and I wanted to talk about a story that really made me think about manifestation and the idea that we manifest things and we don't even realize it.
0: Your story about getting the better you 2 ticket. I mean I know that you can make a lot of things happen but (laughs) damn (laughs) When was your aha moment
1: when you're like, oh shit, I manifested that. Like how much later did it take? It took years.
2: I mean, that night I was amazed, right? So, but I wasn't, first of all, I didn't have the word manifest, right? Manifestation, like this was not a word that I'd ever heard like that. So I didn't have that concept in my mind. I mean, I was like, holy shit. I can't believe I did. Like, I can't believe this actually happened. I can't believe, I think I just felt like it was this anomalous miraculous situation. It was years until I looked back on it and I was like, oh my God, like like that is an insane manifestation. And I didn't even realize it didn't occur to me at that time to be like, wow, if I did that, then maybe I can do this. And maybe I didn't make that connection for years. I mean, you've heard me say this before. Uh, You probably heard me say this more than anybody, Bex. I've recently decided I need to stop calling myself this, but I'm a slow learner. Like It's not that I don't intellectually understand things very quickly, because I do, but in terms of going from like my brain to actually knowing (laughs) and embodying that process can take a while. In the past, I'm no longer claiming that I'm a slow learner, because I'm like, I don't need to keep manifesting being a slow learner, right? (laughs) I can be a fast learner now. But
1: yeah, it was years. Words are so... They are don't want to refer to it that way, but you're in good company because I didn't realize that I had manifested something similar to you until I heard you say it. And I was like, oh, snaps. Yeah, because when I was eight years old the Spice Girls were my favorite band in the whole wide world. I watched the Spice Girls movie more than probably most people on the planet. So every day after school for probably a year, I watched that movie and then they went on tour and then Ginger left the band, which is like a whole other thing I don't want to get into right now. It's fine. <laughs> you
2: haven't, we haven't recovered yet.
1: One day she can make it up to me by letting me interview her. So I'm going to put that in the universe. But my neighbor turns out, like I didn't know this at the time. I was a little girl. My neighbor was a radio DJ. She worked for a pop station for Z1077 at the time you know my dad had little girls she was like oh do you think they want to go to the Spice Girls concert my dad was given three tickets my younger sister my dad and myself we all got to go to the show amazing it was, it was such a cool time. It's, it's interesting. I saw my first drag queen and I didn't know what to make of it, you know, cause I was eight. And I remember just asking my dad, like, dad, what's the, what's, what's that? And my dad just said, Rebecca, sometimes people are just gay. <laughs> you know, nonchalant. And I think that that sort of helped build who I am because I was just like, whatever. Some people Amazing. are just gay. I love the moments when you can turn things back on your parents, right? Because Bad Bunny on some board show recently kissed a man. My dad, like what's that about i'm like i don't know dad sometimes people are just gay (laughs) and he just looked at me (laughs) and he was just like touche um oh my god traumatize your parents back Speaking of that, which like my parents are lovely and I think like, you know, parents do the best that they can with the knowledge that they have, but the dynamics of family and stuff have been on my mind because I keep talking about Jeanette McCurdy's book, I'm Glad My Mom Died. Telling you, Franny, you got to check it out. It's
2: everywhere. I just, because you told me to, so I just got the audiobook version. So I will take a listen. Yeah. I mean, I spent a long time, you know, obviously as a coach, I spend a lot of time talking about the past and helping people to reconcile and move past the wounds of the past, you know, because we all have them to varying degrees and they are manifesting in our lives, right? Until we can start to bring our awareness and heal and all of that, but they're not our destiny. If you want to move forward in life, you need to have some understanding of the past. It's like with beliefs. If you are challenged with feeling worthy, you know, it's not helpful to someone just say like, stop feeling unworthy. It's like, Wait, like that's not, it's not that simple, (laughs) you know? Like, you need new information. Like, you need to, you're not just on a psychological level. Like, you can't release that old concept without some new information coming in because you need something to replace it. Right. And so, it's important to understand and to reconcile the past. However, I'm also moving more and more into a place where I know that you can be in therapy and doing healing work for the rest of your life. And we could all be doing that. And I'm not knocking that. However, I personally feel that my path and what I'm here to be like a way shower for are people who want to understand and reconcile the past, but they also want to focus on the future. And even I use the word healing all the time. And I have healed many things within myself. So healing is obviously real and necessary. Even by focusing on healing, it's starting to identify yourself as someone who is broken in some way. And that is like reinforcing the trauma to see yourself as this broken person who needs healing. So I'm in this interesting place right now, just personally, where I'm trying to really balance out how do you address the past, but you don't get stuck there. Because the past only has the power over us that we continue to give it. It doesn't exist just like the future doesn't exist. Like the only thing that exists is right now. And that's just my own spiritual practice of just moving way more into presence and to being in presence. And in the present moment, the past is irrelevant. But I also know that on a practical level, the past is highly relevant because it has completely influenced who we are today and how we see the world. So that's why I hadn't read the book because I'm not super interested in trauma stories right now.
1: I- sense. It is a hard listen. So I, you know, I tell people before they do that. But I think what I really enjoy about it, right, is that it's normalizing and giving people the language that maybe they need. I think the reason that it's doing so well, like just fun fact, I've talked to a couple of people who work in bookstores, and they're just like, we just can't keep it in stock. Like, as soon as we get it, it's flying off the shelf. That's why I keep suggesting if you want to do it, just do the audiobook. A lot of people don't have the language, you know, for the dynamics in their family and whatever. So it's like, how can you put your finger on the things that make you uncomfortable? comfortable if you don't even have the language for the most intimate like relationships in your life because realistically, you know, your family set up your relationships with everyone else in the world. Oh, totally. But what I think I in, in addition, like because I'm with you, I think you can't keep re-victimizing yourself. And I think that some people get stuck there. Mm-hmm. And it also gets to the point it's like, okay, you understand it and this and that, but like why are you also like putting yourself through that all the time? You have to move forward. And that's where I'm at too. I don't want this to define me, you know, and, and we all have our respective stuff I don't want it to define me but it's also just like until you're ready to let it go it is a part of you you know absolutely I'm really resonating with the most to be quite honest with you is more of the work dynamic you know she talks about her family stuff but she talks about just the abusive things that people deal with work. Mm. And Franny, I don't know about you, but like myself, before I started working for myself, like I I worked in radio. And you know, that was a very rewarding experience at times, because you know, at the time there, it just felt like there weren't all these opportunities, and it was very limiting, you had to move around a lot. My very first job, I had such an abusive boss, he would just treat us all very badly, verbally. And just we kind of just dealt with it, because we're like, we're trying to create a career, we're trying to like, you know, get past this. Obviously, when you have that foundation, it In journalism, you're taught that like, if a story breaks, you have to like get out of bed doesn't matter when it is to go follow it. And it's just like, am I being paid for this? And we weren't because we were people who got jobs post the crash in 08. We were just lucky to be employed. So we just let so many things slide that just were not okay. In hindsight, as an adult, it's like now I would never allow that, you know, Yeah this gets me on the topic about like low ego and how we manifest from that, especially like sometimes with our careers, right? Because I'm not good at this or whatever, whatever. Even if you're getting the affirmation, like I am really good at this, you know, with work related things, like how do we kind of change that mindset? How does one go about changing that?
2: That's a great question.
1: So, okay. How do I want to
2: answer this question? I'll just tell you that for me, I've been working since I was 12 years old and I have always known that I have the ability to get a job and make money. As a result of that, I haven't had a lot of toxic work situations because that was an area of my life. I was just like, I can always get a job. So I don't need to be in a job that I hate. And so That's something that I always felt kind of naturally empowered in. So that was not my journey. Now, I had other challenges in my career, but in terms of really putting up with bad treatment and low pay, that's not one of them. However, I would approach that the same way that I approach anything, which is to understand there is this collective mindset, right? And this collective status quo, like you said, like, oh, you know, you're so lucky to have this job. This is just how it is that we all have to tackle with right? We all have to wrestle with. And I definitely try to, you know, back when I was first out of law school, I went to work at a big law firm in New York. And that is a typically and stereotypically toxic overworking environment. But I was just always so unable to be anyone other than myself. <laughs> I just could never, I never even attempted to like play that game. Do you know what I mean? Because I was just like, well, I'm not doing that. Like you think that it makes you better than everyone or like you get to say you're the hardest worker because you work till 2am every morning. Good for you. I'm going to bed, you know? So I didn't ever really play that game. However, I was like, okay, how can I kind of like do my thing? Thing within this system, which I was able to manifest. Again, I didn't know at the time, but I fully manifested the second most senior partner at the firm taking me under his wing and protecting me from all the bullshit. And I didn't have to worry about what 99% of other law firm associates had to worry about. I have always had this ability to find my way within the work situation. But the only reason I was ever in that situation was because I had bought into the status quo collective thinking of like, well, you know, you should go to law school and then you'll have a good career and then you'll make money and then you'll be stable. And that's what life is about. And like, you know, so I had a different kind of mindset story in that status quo that I had to kind of tackle. So whenever there's anything that you want to shift in your life, it's always about, well, what is the story that I am telling? Myself, right, that is allowing this situation to persist or occur. And so, like you said, understanding that, oh, at that time, you were buying into all this story about you're lucky to have this job, you know, and so there's the scarcity. If you literally think there's no other option, then of course you're going to stay in something toxic. You know, the first thing you've got to do is just challenge. I'm telling myself the story that there's no other option and this is how it is. But is that true?
1: I just feel like for a lot of people, the relationship with money is a very hard one to overcome. Yes, the hardest. Like you said, it comes down to self-worth. I know that my struggle with money was, I personally joke around that I was set up for failure because when I was 18, one of my first jobs was working at a pay list, which for whatever reason was part of a union. Mm. At 18, what I was expecting to be paid was a lot higher than what people they're like, kid, you're 18. I'm like, but this is what I'm making. Like, this is what I want. Yeah, that was really like challenging to me, because I was like, well, I have bills to pay, like, I got to figure it out. I got to survive. And I think that's the thing, too, is sometimes it's about either figuring out a different avenue, gaining other skills. If you have any
2: other suggestions, the book that I probably recommend the most for people who are starting on their money journey is Overcoming Underearning by Barbara Stani. It's a really, really good book. It just takes you through really unpacking, understanding your money stories. And it's a great book. I mean, there's so many and I, I won't list a million. I will encourage people to start with that book.
1: Yeah, and I'll include that in the show notes. What's your profile in human design? Uh, I think it's an emotional projector. Yeah, and the profile is
2: like the numbers. Four, six. Oh, you're four, six. Okay, oh, so am I. We have the same profile. Oh. Yeah. Could you explain to me what an emotional projector is?
1: Because I'm not really sure.
2: So what it means... Being emotional means that your authority is your emotions, like your solar plexus, right? And so that just means, well, it means a few things, but what it basically means is that the way that you are going to know whether something is right for you, it's not an intellectual conversation. It's like, does it feel good? Hmm. And the only challenge with that, and by the way, I don't have emotional authority. I don't have a defined solar plexus. So this is what I have learned from people who do (laughs) is that, and about people who do, which is that your emotions are kind of constantly riding a wave. And sometimes that wave is just like, you know, super chill, but that wave can get pretty turbulent pretty quickly. And so when you're at the high or the low of a wave, right? So if you're like, oh my God, everything's amazing. Or you're like, oh my God, everything is terrible. That is not the time for you to make any major decisions ever. (laughs) Like that is, if it feels really great, awesome. And you're like, yes, hell yes. This is such a yes. Okay. That's great. But don't commit to anything until you have given yourself time to ride that wave to its completion. That's kind of the advice about just having emotional authority. So that's basically what it means. And it just means also like, you know, you just have to honor your own emotional waves and just know that, you know, your emotions are just constantly fluctuating. And that's just part of your design. And your emotions are information, but they're not facts. They're not facts until you've given yourself time to fully process them.
1: It's interesting that you say all this, because I just turned 32 a little bit ago. And uh, that's when your Saturn's return ends. And I'm like, I'm having that like, I don't know if you've seen the gif with like Marge Simpson, where she's kind of cringing and like covering her eyes. That's how I feel (laughs) looking back on a lot of things. It's like, oh, that didn't have to play out like that. Why did I do that? Because I do feel like there's been some sort of shift. and It's like I'm being a lot better about observing the situation and then figuring out how to process it because I feel like for so long, it would be that immediate reaction. And it's like, it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. If anything, it's better for everyone. And if it's not like that. Yeah. Also, I just feel like I'm too damn old to just care that much. I'm just like. Listen, by the time
2: you're my age, you really won't care. I'm looking forward to it. Oh,
1: it's amazing.
2: It's amazing. Every year it gets better. Well, that also has to do with the fact that of, of your profile. And that's why I wanted to know if you had a six in your profile, which you do. So that's the role model. And that's what the six line indicates it's the role model you are the opportunist role model. And so am I. So I know about this profile very well, but it's interesting that you just turned 32 because the first 30-ish years of the life of a 4-6, we operate... Actually, and this is true for anybody who has a 6 in their profile. So if you're a 6-2 or a 6-3, it also applies. All sixes, whether it's the first number or the second, the first 30-ish years of your life, you operate as a martyr. Not to get technical about it,
1: Why are you roasting me, friend?
2: <laughs> yeah, listen, because I, honey, because I'm one too. You think I don't know? <laughs> the sixth line, the line of the role model, is the continuation of the martyr line, which is the three. That's too technical, but the point is that this is a phase that we outgrow. Unlike people who have an actual three in their profile, where this continues for them. But so for that first thirty years of your life, you have been operating. Through a system of trial and error, experience and learning, things seeming like they're a really great idea and not working out, (laughs) getting your hopes up really high and crashing down. And it's just like over and over and over again. I mean, and this is part of why I'm like, oh, this is why I'm a quote slow learner, because that's just our process. But what you're doing is you're getting all of this experience, like a lot of experience. Like you have had, and all four sixes will find this, or all sixes will find this, not just four sixes, all sixes will find that by the time you're in your mid thirties, you've had way, way, way more diversity of experience than most people. And the reason for that is because you are the role model. And so role models What you're able to do and you naturally do is that you start to learn the lessons from all of those experiences and you start integrating those lessons. The phase that you're in right now, which is going to last until you're about my age, like until you're closer to 50, is a phase of massive integration and you are really figuring out, okay, this is exactly who I am. This is exactly how I want to live my life. This is exactly my path. All of that is going to start to really coalesce for you. And then in the third phase of your life, that is when you fully blossom into the role model. And the role model is here to show everybody else what it looks like to live life authentically as yourself. And without having gone through everything that you've gone through, and then spending all of that time of like learning all those lessons and figuring out your path, all of that is what allows you then to be somebody who you're not a role model because you're going around saying like, hey kids, listen to me. I'm a role model. You're a role model because people naturally look to you because they have been looking to you even when you were in your martyr phase. People naturally look to you and they're going to look to you and be like, oh my God, if she did that, maybe I can do that. Or how did she do that? Or I want to... So you're here to be a way shower basically of like what it looks like to live authentically as yourself. Uh,
1: This got me thinking because you're a little bit older than I am. You are Gen X. And this something that I'm curious about, because I've noticed it with a lot of millennial individuals. Did you think that you were going to be someone who died young? Was that ever like a thought that you thought about? Hmm, interesting. No, no. I wonder if that's because I since you know, I'm, I'm 32. I have a lot of people around me who are in like their 30s and stuff. And it's weird, because we all have that very similar thought. It's like, I didn't think I was going to make it this far. But here we are. Mm, I wonder if it's like 911.
2: And like, what? I wonder what that's about.
1: A lot of things. You know, I remember being nine and Columbine happening. Mm, mm-hmm. The constant reinforcement of like things happen all the time. I don't know for whatever. So I just think that that's sort of interesting because I've just, I've been very existential lately. My Pluto is in Scorpio. So it's just a whole thing. And I am a Scorpio. So I understand
2: the generational differences at this point. I know many people who died young, you know? No, not for me personally. I don't think I ever personally, no, you know what? Actually now I'm thinking about it. I definitely never personally was concerned with dying young. I was just concerned with like my future. It was like such a big question mark that I was just like, what's gonna happen? That was like the existential angst that was really plaguing me. <laughs> but yeah, I'm a lot older than you. I mean, I'm gonna be 48 this year.
1: about 16 years-ish. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a teenager in between us. There's a teenager in between.
2: <laughs> I could be your mother. I mean, I would have been a young mother.
1: <laughs> Brandy, this has been such a lovely conversation. You know, I'm a kind of a I'm a spooky, morbid bitch.
2: Here's the thing though, you know, this is just another part of the of, of what happens as you get older, but also my spiritual journey is that I really my relationship with death is like I just don't fear death.
1: Neither do I.
2: I just don't. Yeah. And so it's to me it's not even morbid. It's just like, I could walk outside today and get hit by the proverbial bus. And I mean, I, I hope that doesn't happen. It definitely would suck for, you know, some people who care about me. And that's what upsets me about the thought of dying is not myself. It's like, oh, I just know it'd be traumatic for some other people. And I just don't want it to be. But I understand that, you know, I've, I've been on the other side of that. I get it. But to me, like on a spirit level, I'm just just like, oops, oh, well, game over, like start over again. And it's just going to keep going and going and going and going until we get this humanity thing right.
1: The only thing that really worries me about death is having to start over is like, fuck, I didn't do well enough. I got to, uh,
2: I know I want angel status. Right.
1: <laughs> but I also worry that it's like a, an episode of the good place. <laughs> where we're like, yeah, like everything you do is terrible. So there's no way of getting in. So let's hope it's not bad. It's that. not bad. <laughs> it's a great show though. It is a really good one. Where can everyone find you, keep
2: up with you and support you? Oh, thank you, Bex. This has been so great. Well, I'm Dear Franny everywhere. So you can always find me at Dear Franny. Um, You can listen to my podcast, which Bex edits amazingly. You can listen to my podcast, Dear Franny. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Clubhouse, especially if you like talking about manifestation because I host a room on Clubhouse every Monday called Manifestation Monday about manifestation at 4 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m central 7pm eastern yeah i'm there every monday and love for people to join there
0: thank you for listening to that episode i hope you enjoyed it so i wanted to make a correction because i had said earlier that there are five types but apparently there are four types because generators and manifesting generators are in the same category so it's manifestors generators and manifesting generators, projectors and reflectors. I'm going to include a link. If you are curious about your human design type, you can check it out. Additionally, please go and support Francesca Hoagie and all the ways you can do that are in the show notes. She just announced she's writing a book and I'm really excited for her. Thank you to everyone who has listened. I hope this episode resonated with you and I look forward to chatting with you in the future.